Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we will be talking about Coal Miners Slaughter, Season 5, Episode 5, first aired November 20th, 1998. And the IMDb summary reads, When a former student is arrested for murder, Jessica heads to West Virginia to bail her out. The unfriendly town hinders her investigation. Yeah, that's it. Okay, great. (laughs) So the trivia, as I said last week, I didn't know if this was going to be the trivia, but it is. So the title pertains to country singer legend Loretta Lynn, the coal miner's daughter. Rest in peace, Loretta Lynn, who also left us in the month of October, I believe, the end of October, beginning of November. Now, there's a second piece of trivia as well. It says that the set used for the Morgan house is the same one used for the Apple Tree Sisters house in Mr. Penroy's Vacation, Season 5, Episode 3. So not last week, but the week before. So I thought that was interesting as well. So let's get into the returners and then the cast and then this episode. Okay. So we have two returners. One is Chuck Connors and we will recognize him as FBI agent Fred Keller, season two, episode two, Joshua Peabody died here. Possibly. (laughs) Now, in this episode, he plays Tyler Morgan, and he has a head of white hair. Now, he had brown, slightly graying hair back in season two. So there has been uh, some changes. <laughs> but it is the same actor, and this is his last Murder, She Wrote episode. Then we have Cliff DeYoung, and we will recognize him as Father Patrick Francis, season four, episode 16, Murder Through the Looking Glass. Now, remember, he was internal affairs for the, whatever the name of their agency was. (laughs) I think it was the Department of Special Security or whatnot, but DSS is also the Department of Social Services. But I don't know. I don't remember if those were the initials. But anyway, in this episode, he plays Carlton Reed. Now, the entire cast, we have Sheriff Tate, Norma, Tyler, and Reese Morgan, Carlton Reed, Bridie and Travis Harmon, Molly and Eben Connors. Now, we start out at a party that's apparently thrown by Tyler Morgan for the miners. So Tyler Morgan and his family own a mine in this West Virginia town. And basically, like everybody is either employed by him or is related to somebody who works for him. So he is running the entire town basically because of his ownership of this mine. So at the party, he has his son Reese and his wife, Norma. 
And Reese is like, this is a waste of company money. And Tyler is like, listen, okay, this is a strategic move. Get them all happy and everything so that when we have to tell them that they need to be more productive, that they're more willing to do it because morale is up. He didn't say it like that, but that's what he meant. And Reese is like, listen, the way that we can speed up by 20% is to include computers, which Tyler is completely against. He says he ran the company for 30 years at a profit using his mind, not computers. And as long as he's in charge, that's not going to change. So he walks off and Norma or Nora, sorry, I'll call her Norma, Nora says, he's still your father because Reese is a grown man, but he is still your father and he deserves respect. And Reese turns to her and he's like, that's funny coming from you about respect. Did he respect you when he was out here cheating in these streets? And I'm like, wow, okay, uh, clearly you hate your father and perhaps blame your mother for staying with him because he's out here embarrassing her in these streets by cheating. But perhaps that's her only option. She can't afford to divorce him. Maybe since he had this for like 30 years and it was his father's mine, I believe, and whatnot. They probably had a prenuptial agreement. She's probably going to get nothing. She doesn't have any minor children with him. Reese is grown. And are you going to support me (laughs) when I'm out on the street? I don't think so. So if I'm willing to accept this embarrassment, then just shut your face unless you are going to help support me. Okay, because clearly she's probably never had to have a job. You know, perhaps I'm assuming she graduated high school, but that that's unknown. Right. But maybe she I maybe she went to college. I don't know. We don't know any of the background, but she may not be in a position where she can take care of herself. And so this is what she knows, this is all she knows. Maybe she grew up and it's like, you never get divorced. So she's like, all right, well, he's out here in these streets. He's bringing home a lot of money. I live in the lap of luxury, so I'm not going to complain. The last thing you need is for your adult son who's still living at your house. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) To be like, he don't respect you. Uh, You shouldn't be talking to me in public like this about family matters. So clearly you don't respect me either. So there's problems on all different levels. Anyway, that's that family's dynamic. So as Tyler is making a speech, Molly interrupts him. And she says that long story short, she is going to prove that he killed her father. Now Molly's father, Joseph Connors, he was killed in a mining quote unquote accident where something exploded in the mine, killing him and the other miner that was with him, Danny Harmon, Bridie and Travis relative. So Bridie's husband and Travis's father. Okay. So that, that's how 
she doesn't believe that it was an accidental explosion. And she believes that Tyler had something to do with it. And Tyler then says, well, that'll be hard for you to do from a prison cell or a jail cell, however he put it. And the sheriff who is there, he asked uh, the sheriff to arrest Molly for trespassing because this is a private party on private property and she's not an invited guest. So the sheriff arrests her. And as they're arriving at the sheriff's office, Eben, who is Molly's grandfather, drives up and he like is ready to pull out his shotgun and take her home by force. Okay. And Molly's like, grandpa, no. Okay, please, you're just going to make this worse. Because even don't play about his family. Okay, don't play about his family. He may be old, but he like, listen, I ain't make it to 115 years old. (laughs) Letting people get over on me, right? So Molly is like, it's fine. I'll be bailed out in no time. And Eben is like, a thousand dollars? Do you have a thousand dollars? And she says, no, but I'm entitled to one call. And I, I know someone who may be able to help. Now, before we get to who she called, okay, my question is, well, actually, let me take it a step back. So while they're going back and forth, Molly and Tyler in front of everybody, all the minors, everybody, and their spouses, apparently. She says, I'll be bailed out. Like, you can't, no, she said, you can't make that stick in front of a judge. To which Tyler says, oh, judge whoever, who is currently fishing at my cabin out of the area. And he's like, oh, well, you know, I'll call him. But if the trout are biting, I don't know how quickly he's going to be back here. Right. So then they leave. The sheriff takes Molly to take her to jail. Right. But how does she have a bail amount when she has not gone before a judge? What? How does that work? Like, did the sheriff set bail? Is that possible? I don't know what they do in West Virginia. I don't know what they do in the Murder, She Wrote universe because they could be going by the laws of that, which I do not know. But usually you have to be brought before a judge, told your charges, and then bail is discussed. Whether, and honestly, for a trespass, which is a violation in most states, which is basically like, a traffic infraction it's not even really criminal for for purposes of like reporting to your job or whatnot listen don't don't take my advice about that I don't know where you work or what you do but I'm saying okay (laughs) why would there be a thousand dollar bail and that's in 19 what 88 money okay a thousand dollars for what is basically a traffic infraction level crime. Are you, is there even a fine for trespassing? It, uh, wow, I am blown away that 
the sheriff, it had to be the sheriff because she, she was in the vehicle with the sheriff. When she got out of the vehicle, she said it's a thousand dollar fine. Well, not a thousand dollar bail. What? And they, and he didn't say that. Nobody said anything about alternatives because if it was a bond, then he only had to come up with a hundred dollars to bail her out. But they didn't talk about any of those because clearly the bank is closed at this hour. So that blows my mind. A thousand dollars in 1988 money for a violation. I am disgusted. And especially the fact that it seems to just be like either standard, which is crazy, or the sheriff just made that number up, which is also problematic. Anyway, so the next scene, we see Jessica getting off of the bus. And we then go into the sheriff's office and the sheriff is speaking with Molly as she's in the cell. And it's like, hey, just a piece of advice. And she's like, oh, what? Stop while I'm ahead. Mind my business. You know, whatever, whatever. Not going to happen. And so the sheriff is like, listen, okay, I'm just trying to protect you. Okay. I liked your father. He was a good person and everything like that. But at the end of the day, the fact is I have to abide by the law. And Molly says, oh, the law according to Tyler Morgan. To which the sheriff is like, listen, you're very hard nosed. And your father was also hard nosed. And that's what got him killed. He then's like, all right. He opens the jail cell. She's like, what's going on here? Like, she is concerned, okay, concerned. And he's like, you're free to go. No, he was like, you can go. And she was like, go where? He was like, anywhere you want to, you are bailed out. And she's like, what are you talking about? My bail money hasn't gotten here yet. He's like, it was paid just now in person. You can go. So they walk out from where the cells are and Jessica is standing there waiting for her. She's like, oh my God, Jessica, like I didn't expect you to come here. As she says, well, when you called, I was so concerned after I got off the phone with you, I couldn't just wire the money. I had to come down here to pay it in person and to see you and make sure you were okay. So they leave the sheriff's office and bump into Carlton and he is the local miners union representative. And I think that was the job that her father had at the time that he died. So as they're speaking with Carlton, he's like, oh, Tyler must be really upset. The fact that you're getting out of jail and (laughs) Tyler pulls up in his car, like skirt to the, the curb, right? Gets out and he's like, you really should, to Molly, you really shouldn't bring strangers into local business or however he put it. And Jessica says, we're not strangers. Okay, we know each other very well. And I'm here to support her. And so Tyler, and I'm going to be here for a few days. So Tyler is like, well, Eben's place is barely big enough for him and Molly. So I'm like, what business is that of yours? You know what I mean? Like, I listen, I don't know. So at this point, 
Bridey, and I thought her name was Birdie. I'm sorry, the R just transposed with I, but it's Bridey. Okay, Birdie would have been better, but it's Bridey. So that's where we're at. She comes up with Travis, her son. And Travis is like, she can stay with us. I was like, oh, okay. He was like, can't she, mom? <laughs> you just Now his mother owns a hotel, you know, or a rooming house or whatever you want to call it, right? And she's like, oh, okay. I didn't know we were part of this conversation. Uh, yeah, so it's $10 a night for a room. It's extra for meals. And I lock up at 11 p.m. So Jessica says, yes, that would be great. And Molly says, oh, you don't have to worry about meals. She'll be taking meals with us. And I'll have her to your place by 1030 tonight. So Bridie is like, okay, great. And so she goes to leave. She's like, okay, come on, Travis. And Travis stares down Tyler. Now, this man is old enough to be his great-grandfather. Let's be real. Homeboy is a cool 84. And Travis is apparently 14 years old. Okay, so his great-granddaddy. And does not break contact eye contact until his mom is like, Travis, we have to go. So the next scene, we're at Eben's house at dinner which Molly cooked because apparently she got skills. And even says she has her mom's cooking ability and her dad's brains. And Jessica says, yeah, I remember when we were talking about the lessons on Shakespeare, how you used to lug around a book of the complete works of Shakespeare, to which Molly points to it on the shelf and says, there it is. Her father bought it for her and he would read it to her. So like Romeo and Juliet, The Tempest. And it was the only thing that she took with her to Cabot Cove when her and her mother moved to Maine to live with other family. Because I guess the grandfather was not in a position to support them. And the mother had to get a job and she clearly couldn't work at the mine because her husband died working at the mine. So that's why they moved to Cabot Cove. They had family there. And so that is where Molly grew up and met Jessica. Well, actually not, not completely grew up because this happened 10 years ago. So we're talking about a 10 year span where Jessica was her English teacher. She then went to college, she went to law school, and she just passed the bar exam. So that's seven. So maybe her whole high school career, if you're in a district that does 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. So it's possible that she was in Cabot Cove High School for 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. Jessica was her English teacher at some point, or maybe more than one year, because I've had that happen where the English teacher and other teachers taught more than one level of a subject. So she may have had Jessica for two or three of her years in high school. Then she went off to college. Then she went to law school. So four years of college, three years of law school, that's seven. And then the three years of high school. So now we're at year 10. Normally, I'm assuming she passed the bar exam on the first try. We're, we're going to give her that, right? 
So usually you sit for the bar exam the summer after at the in July of the year that you graduate. So you graduate in May from law school, you usually sit for the bar in July of that same year. And assuming that you pass it, you would find out now it's much sooner, but uh, probably in the 80s, maybe. Well, even if they, I don't even know when they would hold the bar exam in the 80s. I'm talking about now, right? But I'm assuming that this is, that she's fresh out of law school. So we find out that Eben believes that the explosion was no accident and that Molly needs to not look, keep looking into it because she may end up dead like her father. And Molly is like, I can take care of myself. I'm going to do what I need to do. And she leaves the table. Jessica says, well, are you exaggerating about the danger that Molly is in? And Eben says, I lost one child and I'm not going to lose another one. Okay. So the next scene, Tyler is at his home. He gets a phone call. He says, okay, I'll meet you at the cabin in half an hour. Somebody is listening. Now he thinks it's Nora because I don't know. She already know he out there tipping and dipping with other women. So I don't know why you listening to his calls. Like that's just upsetting you. Like maybe she wants to know who it is. So she's not out here looking stupid in these streets. But why would you cause yourself the problem? Just, you've already decided to let him cheat. So let him cheat in peace and keep your peace of mind. Because you you should be like, oh, good, he going out. <laughs> let me call the pool, boy. But, well, they don't have a pool. Um, let me call one of the miners. Hey. Anyway, so we see Reese, however, looking around a corner after, as Tyler is leaving. So it could have been Reese on the other line. It could have been Nora. So the next scene, we're at the hotel. Molly is dropping Jessica off and getting her, helping her to get settled in her room. And we find out from Molly that Bridie, her husband died in the same explosion as Molly's father. So he died that way. So she has the same amount of hate for Tyler as Molly does. And clearly as Travis does, because his father, it was his father. And we'll see that he idolized his father and he misses him dearly. So he is, that's why he was staring Tyler down because he believes that he was involved in the explosion that killed his father. So Jessica reminds Molly, this is very dangerous. To which Molly says, I can take care of myself. She then says, well, let me get on my way before the storm breaks. And do you need me to pick you up in the morning? And Jessica says, no, after the meal that we had just now, it'll do me well to take a walk to your house in the morning. So she says, okay, I'll see you for breakfast tomorrow. So as Molly is driving away, she beeps the horn. She waves goodbye to Jessica. Jessica waves and goes um, further into her room. She went to the window to do that. She then hears thunder 
and goes to close the window and she sees Bridie leaving looking suspicious, okay, (laughs) on foot. She sees her leaving on foot. The next scene, we are at Tyler's cabin and we see a shadow holding a handgun uh, in a gloved hand. He sees Tyler through the window, stoking the fire in the fireplace, but he puts the gun away in his pocket. We then see that he walks around to the door. He opens the door without being heard, grabs a shotgun that is in a unlocked rack, gun rack that is, right next to the door. He then, he or she, the person, cocks the gun and Tyler hears this, turns around, but he is then shot apparently in the chest. So he must have, he was bent over. He must have turned and stood up and he was shot right in the chest, killing him instantly. So the next scene, it's the next morning and Jessica is walking to Eben's place and she gets a little turned around and she ends up being held up at gunpoint or rifle point, I should say, by Reese, who then brings her at gunpoint to the sheriff. And the sheriff says, oh, it's kind of early for a city woman to be out prowling around. To which Jessica says, first of all, I wouldn't know because I'm from a small town. And two, I wasn't prowling. Reese then says she was heading over to the Connors place. She says she took the wrong path. And so I'm like, oh, okay. Why wouldn't you believe her? Like, why, why wouldn't you believe that? She wasn't lurking. She was on the path. She has on a skirt suit and sensible heels and a purse. Like, why, why would you think that she was prowling? And he didn't know. Like, Reese never saw Jessica. So he didn't know that Jessica was there to support Molly, you know? So I, this, is, this is wild. So the sheriff is like, all right, Reese, I can take it from here, bye. And he says, now that my daddy's dead, remember who's filling his shoes? And he leaves. And Jessica is like, Tyler Morgan is dead? And the sheriff says, yeah, he was shot last night between 11 and 11.30 p.m. And Jessica says, do you have any idea who did it? And he says, I have ideas, but I don't have any evidence. So the sheriff then asks Jessica if she has, where was she between 11 and 11.30 last night? And she's like, I was in bed by 11 and sleep soon after. And the sheriff is like, yeah, okay, I didn't, But she said, I'd be hard pressed to prove that. And the sheriff is like, oh, you don't need to prove it. It's fine. I believe you. You would have no need to kill this man that you had barely met. Right. Although I'm like, uh, don't let the skirt suit fool you. She could be an assassin that Molly hired and is pretending to be a family friend so that she could kill Tyler. Even better, like, I don't know this man, but I needed to meet him so I knew who I had to kill. Uh, Okay, Sheriff, Mm, sexist much? Yeah. Anyway, so (laughs) Jessica didn't murder this guy, though. And so Jessica says, well, if you 
If I didn't need an alibi, why'd you ask? And the sheriff says, well, I hoped that you would be able to supply one for someone who does not have an alibi. So the next scene, we're at Eben's house. The sheriff has brought Jessica there. And he's asking Molly and Eben where they were last night between 11 and 11.30 because they had serious issues with Tyler. So they are definitely credible suspects in his murder. So Jessica says, well, all three of us were here having dinner until Molly dropped me off at the hotel at 10.30 p.m. And it's close by here. So she was probably back home by 10.45. To which Molly, being honest, being honest, because she didn't have to give any of this, but being honest, says, well, I would have been home by 10.30, but I got a flat tire. And between it being dark from and the storm, it took me much longer to change it than it normally would have. So I didn't get home until about 11.30 p.m. So the sheriff then asked Eben, he was like, I stayed home all night. Like I didn't, you know, they didn't have cell phones or anything. So she couldn't, it wasn't like she could call him to come down to help her. And plus he's like 115 years old. He's not, he's probably like a good 75, but you know, whatever. Mountain folk, you know, he probably is 115. He just looks 75 and that's the deal. So anyway, (laughs) anyway, so Neither one of them has a solid alibi, right? They can't even alibi for each other because it doesn't seem that Eben was awake to say, yeah, Molly came in at 1130, which depending on how far the Morgan estate is, that might've been on the surface sufficient. But of course her grandfather would lie for her because yeah, he's not upset that (laughs) Tyler was murdered. So there's that. The sheriff also brings up the fact that one of sheriff, (laughs) one of Tyler's shotguns is missing. And so Molly is like, we ain't got to hear. If you want to search, then you can search. Like, I don't even care because we didn't take it. Why would I do that? That would be stupid. I came here making threats of lawsuits. Why would I murder this man? That doesn't make sense, which is all true. Now, if she had been unsuccessful in filing a civil suit or in the process of the civil suit or wrongful death or whatever. And then he turned up murdered. That would be a different conversation, but she hasn't even really started the proceeding. She was going to, she was requesting a subpoena be sent to the Morgan mining company for the payroll records from 1978. Okay. That was the year that her father was allegedly murdered, definitely died, right? In the mining explosion. So she's like, why would I murder him? I was gonna take all his money in court. So the next scene, Molly and Jessica are outside and Carlton comes up. They, I forget where they were leaving. Was it the post office? It might've been the post office. And Carlton offers them a ride home because the block is hot, okay? 
And everybody is looking at Molly crazy because they believe that she killed Tyler. Now, they're probably looking at her crazy, not because they're sad that he's dead as a person, but they're concerned about what this means for their jobs. Because like I said, everybody in that town has income coming from the mine. Okay, so whether it's stores that are providing supply or groceries or home fixtures or whatever that people are able to purchase because they are employed by the mine. Yeah, like money is the entire income of this town is based on the mine and they're probably scared about what's going to happen now that the sun is going to take over. Right. Because he wants to bring in computers and usually when computers are brought in, people are taken out. And you have to also remember, there's probably people who have been in the mines for decades, right? Who are not going to be technologically savvy enough to learn how to work with or work on the computers in order to keep their jobs or in order to keep a job. So it's probably that more so than, I can't believe you killed someone. It's what's gonna happen to us? How could you do this and cause this state of confusion? So Molly is like, yeah, I'm not intimidated by these people. I'm not gonna hide out, okay? I didn't kill Tyler. And Carlton is like, yeah, well, try telling them that. And the camera pans over and it's Nora and Reese coming out of the funeral home. So Molly says, I'll do just that. I'm like, yo, wait a second. This is disrespectful. Like, honestly, they believe that you murdered their husband, father, right? So... I don't think the man's not even in the ground yet. Okay. And they're coming out of the funeral home, literally having talked about his final resting place. This is not appropriate to approach them, even for condolences based on who you are. So the fact that they were even as, that they were even willing to acknowledge you should have been more than enough. Like, honestly, because they could have acted completely out of pocket. Now, Reese got a little spicy, but not nearly to a level of violence that he could have at this person who I truly believe murdered my father coming up to me and my mother after she did this to pay condolences. You might, it's like a slap in the face. So yeah, not a great move. I don't know why we're here, how we got here. They could have left that be, but okay, this is where we're at. So Molly approaches them. She gives her condolences. She promises that she's not the one who killed him and that she is sorry for their loss. And at some point, Carlton accuses Reese of killing Tyler because he did not see eye to eye with his father. To which this almost causes a fist fight, which justifiable, you're going to say that I killed my father 
the nerve. He was like, come over here and say that to my face. And so Carlton's like, I'm right here. <laughs> so they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Carlton, Carlton, sir, Reese is going to wear you out, okay? Because the fact is, even if he ain't like his daddy, even if he didn't, hated him to the core, all right? When it comes to family, people forget that they didn't get along with that family member when it's an outsider talking crap. Now, you want to be like, oh, you killed your father because you didn't get along with him. The actual nerve, because the fact is Reese did not kill his father. So he had every right to be like, oh, come and say that closer to my face. You want to be talking all out your neck. And Carlton goes to step forward. I'm like, Carlton, <laughs> that wasn't going to be good for you. You Be thankful that Jessica and Molly were like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Because, man, you would have been hurt. Okay, this man is... Grieving his father have, he grieves it. But like, honestly, he's thinking, okay, now I got to run this company. I didn't even get to ease into this. I have to, I have a lot on my plate right now. I don't need this union rep talking crazy to me. I really don't. After I literally just had to sit down talking about burying my father. So what we're not going to do is think you're going to talk crazy to my face. So as they're arguing, <laughs> the sheriff comes up and says that he found additional evidence, that being the missing rifle. And it was found in tucked under the seat of Molly's vehicle. And she's like, that's impossible. And at this point, she is arrested for the murder of Tyler Morgan. So the next scene, we find out that no bail has been set and the sheriff says that he's done this for Molly's safety because if she is able to be bailed out and is bailed out, that the townspeople may go after her, you know, mountain folk justice. Because again, like I said, I think it's because they're scared of their job security, you know? So I don't know, Jessica didn't seem to get, understand that. I'm like, mm, no, we've done this before, right? In Powder Keg, where it was much safer for the person to be in jail than out on these streets. So Jessica is like, listen, anybody could, you understand that anybody could have put that gun in her car. She's a lawyer. Why would she be stupid enough to do that when there's all this wooded area that she could have hid it in? And you said her car was unlocked, so anyone could have gotten access to it. At this point, Eben comes in and he says, I'm here to get Molly. And so Jessica talks him down and it's like, we're gonna go to a higher authority. And even it's like, when has a higher authority been any help? They've always been in the pocket of whoever, like they're not here to help the mining folk. And so even is like, listen, I am going to give you an opportunity to do whatever you need to do with some higher authority or whatnot. But the fact is, when I come back, I'm not coming back alone. So figure it out. Okay, work it out or I'll be back with a posse, okay? 
So the next scene, we are back at the hotel and Bridie and Travis are having a bit of an argument. So Travis is running down the stairs and Bridie is like, where were you last night? And he says, I was out hunting. And she says, till 3 a.m.? He says, I'm not a kid anymore. I can go out at night if I want to. You do. And then he storms out. I'm like, listen, he's allegedly 14 years old. When I tell you I would have grabbed that little boy up, I I don't care if there was people standing there. What you're not going to do is disrespect me like that in front of people. <laughs> like, I don't. She could have took him like, honestly, like it's one thing if your child is bigger than you, where it's like some for real safety concerns, but he didn't have a father figure for 10 years. Okay. 10 years. Am I honestly, she should have been like, Hey, go hang out with the sheriff. You know, I don't know if the sheriff got family or whatnot, but go hang out with the sheriff you know, help him. He can teach you how to hunt and fish because somebody had to teach him how to shoot and whatnot because his father died when he was four. So he, he learned some skills from somebody. Maybe it was his mother, perhaps, but he, you can't be talking to your mother like that. You can't, period. But especially in front, in her business, in front of Adults, like we gonna act like these people are not standing over to the the right hand side of the screen, okay? And he gonna just walk out. So Carlton hears this, and he runs out after him, and it's like, "Hey, you were pretty rough on your mom." And he's like, "I'm not a kid. She's treating me like I'm five years old." No, at fourteen, you shouldn't be running these streets until three o'clock in the morning, okay? Like <laughs> that is not okay. And he was like, if Pa was alive, he would show her that I'm not a kid. Your father would have told your behind that you need to be in at a reasonable time. And probably what is it at 14? You need to be in at 9.15. And you would have paid attention to him. You would have listened to him. And, and that would have been that. The only reason you, you want to act all brand new, you didn't know your father. To be honest, he died when you were four You don't know what he would have done. You have built him up in his head, which is in your head, which is completely understandable. I get that. But what I, but what you're not going to do, if I, let's put it this way. If I was Carlton, his response would have been, do you think your father would want you to upset your mother like that? He loved her. Do you think that that's what he will want you to do? Do you think he will want you to have your mother scared that you're out until all hours of the night and she doesn't know where you are? She obviously can't get in contact with you because it's 1988. Do you, you think that that's okay? You think that that's, that she's asking too much, that she feels secure knowing that she's keeping you safe because your father's gone? She's the only one who can that's what he should have said. He's like, oh, you were being kind of rough on your mom. He's like, oh, just do me like a kid. Because you are a child. You're 14. Like, and you look seven. <laughs> you could get snatched off the street. Anyway, so he says in his exit 
this is Travis, that his father is dead and so is the man who killed him. And then he walks away. Carlton then gets into his truck and drives the opposite direction. So Jessica then turns to speak to Bridie. And no, actually, Jessica was in her room and she asked Bridie to come up because she was having trouble opening the window. And Bridie says, oh, it sticks every time after the rain. And Jessica says, oh, yeah, that storm last night was like a deluge. Like, you're lucky you didn't catch your death of of cold uh, being out there so, you know, unprepared. And Bridie was like, no, I never left last night after I um, left you. I went downstairs and, and shut everything down and went to bed. And Jessica is like, no, I was standing at this window closing it when I saw you leave. And Bridie is like, I can't get involved. Jessica's like, there is an innocent woman who could go to prison for a murder she did not commit. You have to talk to me. She doesn't, but okay. So Jessica is like, what are you hiding? And Bridie says, you know, basically she has been having an affair with Tyler for 10 years She was a widow at 19 with a four-year-old. Wait, wait a second. She, she was 19 with a four-year-old. That means she had a baby at 15? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you, you can tell me that this, this young lady who had a baby at 15 was widowed by 19. Okay, we have no idea how old her husband was at all. I'm, I'm gonna hope that he was also 19, okay? Got a, a job at the, working the mine. You know, you didn't need a high school diploma or anything to work there, I'm, I'm sure, at that level, because he was going down into the mine. So uh, we're gonna hope that he when they got pregnant, that he was also a teenager at around her age, like not 18 with a 15 year old (laughs) or a 14 year old, depending on the the nine months situation. Um, But nobody in town questioned how she was able to have a rooming house, like a nice hotel situation. It is very nice. So this, this young woman who never got remarried, never had a long-term boyfriend, who possibly doesn't even have a high school diploma, was able to purchase or lease this home and rent out these rooms at $10 a night and turn a profit in this small hick town? What? Nobody had any questions. Nobody had any questions. Because she's like, nobody knew that Tyler and I were in a relationship. They didn't know because they didn't want to know. Because you can't tell me, was it nobody's grandma? Like, how How she... How, that... That ain't calculating right. She was 19 with a four-year-old when her husband died. She probably ain't. Where is she? 
listen, okay. <laughs> what? How did she get this money? How did she get this money? And people stay there. So it's not even like they think that she out here catting around, you know, to any, to any guy who got money, like the town knew, like she want to pretend like the town ain't know that she was sleeping with Tyler for money. Everybody knew. You can't convince me they didn't know when she got that whole rooming house as she was a widow at 19, having gotten pregnant at like 14 and had a baby at 15. Had a baby at 15. Okay, no, no. Y'all math ain't math. It's not. Nor does that actress look like she's 29, but it's 1988. So we gonna just let her look like she is 42 years old and she's supposed to be 29 because that she will be 29, right? Because her husband died 10 years ago and Tyler stepped right on in like, hey, you need some money? I'm willing to pay for it. So <laughs> I am literally just realizing how outrageous this whole situation is, okay? Not that she was having an affair with Tyler for money. You know, get your money, girl. Because I don't, don't do that in real life. But this is Murder, She Wrote. And, you know, they got to they gotta make things a little morally interesting, right? I'm not, that's not even my issue. My issue is, um, actually, I do have an issue with that. Because Tyler is 84 years old. I don't know if he's really 84 years old, but he's 84 years old, which means 10 years ago, he was 74 and you were 19. That's disgusting. That's actually disgusting. Okay, so I looked up the actor's age. Okay, so we can be a bit more accurate. So the actor who played Tyler Morgan at the time was 67 years old. He, he clearly went all white uh, early on in life, right? 67, which means he would have been 57 10 years ago. And she was supposedly 19 and he was 57. She was younger than his son, okay? Younger than his son and they are having a sexual relationship and he is her sugar daddy giving her money, not just regular money, money enough to purchase a huge property that she could rent rooms out of and decorate nicely and all of this. Like, what? <laughs> he should have just put her on the payroll to the mine. Like, was she on the payroll? Because like she was getting paid executive staff type money to be able to do this. And nobody questioned it. Nobody. That's wild. I promise you everybody knew, but wasn't nobody going to say nothing because they needed to keep their income coming from the mine. If he want to dibble and dabble with that single, that widow, and his wife is fine being embarrassed out here. That ain't none of my business. As long as my paychecks clear, I don't care what them people do. Yeah. Talking about nobody knew. <laughs> you mean nobody?
everybody knew. Everybody knew. You ain't got, all right. All right. I, mm, gross. Anyway, so we find out, <laughs> we find out that Bridie didn't want her son, who is now 14, to find out about this arrangement situationship between her and Tyler. So she went to the cabin that evening to break it off. But when she got to the cabin, Tyler was already dead. And Jessica is like, why didn't you call the sheriff? And Bridie was like, the only, everyone would know that we were in a relationship because he only invites, you have to have a special invitation from Tyler to go up there. Not any and everybody can go up to that cabin. And so if I was there in the middle of the night, then they would put two and two together and figure out that we we're in a relationship, maybe not a whole decade. Ma'am, everybody knew. Everybody. Okay. So Jessica is like, okay, I get it. Great. So Jessica, oh, and Jessica asked, well, do you, you mean Nora didn't know either? And Bridie was like, well, some years ago, she suspected she threw such a fit that Tyler had stopped seeing me for a while, but then we started back up again. But I, I'm sure that Nora didn't know that we started back up because she would have killed him if she knew. Ah, interesting. So of course, Jessica then goes to speak with Nora because Jessica is gangsta and is like, I'm about to figure this out. I got to get Molly out of jail. So Nora is like, yeah, I don't have any control over Reese. Um, we also find out that Nora is a award-winning rifleist. Is that is that rifler? I don't I don't know what the <laughs> marksman, markswoman, right? And she's like, yeah, everybody in town by the age of 10, you know how to shoot and you know how to shoot well. Okay. So yeah. I am well acquainted with firearms of all types. Okay. So <laughs> I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at that. Okay. Good for you. So Jessica leaves their house on foot. And as she's walking down the road, Carlton comes speeding up, tells her to get in. There's some trouble. The sheriff says that he has Molly pinned cold to as the murderer and Jessica's like, well, anyone could have planted that gun in Molly's car. To which Carlton says, yeah, anyone could have taken the shotgun out of the that unlocked rack by the door and shot Tyler. And Carlton then says, Reese, while he was cleaning up his father's office, found a missing, found that the ledger was missing a sheet from 1978. And the sheriff believes that that's proof that Molly murdered him and took said ledger page. So we also find out that Eben has gotten a posse together and is heading to the sheriff's office to get Molly by force if necessary. However, that Reese has found out about this and he's also headed to the sheriff's department. 
to ensure that Molly stays in jail. So there's a showdown and Eben is like, Molly is no killer. The sheriff says that's up to the courts to determine. And I'm sure that Molly would agree with that. Seeing as she's a lawyer, I'm like, I wouldn't, but (laughs) she's part of mining people and didn't even say the authorities don't be helping these miners out. So even it's like, all right, fine. But if she's harmed in any way, I'm not going to wait for any court to settle that issue. Okay. Granted, every right to do that. Uh, not, not legally. That wasn't legal advice. No, don't, don't take things into your own hands. So at this point, the sheriff looks over at Reese and he's like, you and your guys get out of here. So as Eben is leaving, then Car- Carlton, good Lord, he's there, but he went to inside to get the sheriff. So he's standing behind the sheriff. Reese and his guys leave in a different direction. So we're now in the office and Carlton has left. He has disappeared. Okay. And it's just Jessica and the sheriff. And the sheriff is like, oh, I don't really have time for this. Thanks for helping out. But I I don't have time. Right. And so he's trying to make a phone call. And Jessica says, well, why would Molly steal that sheet of paper if she was planning to subpoena it? And the sheriff is like, so you're saying some the killer stole the ledger sheet to frame Molly. And Jessica says, not only to frame Molly, but to prevent the discovery of something that was on that page. So the sheriff gets on the phone. Well, the person picks up on the other end and he says, listen, I lost the key to my gun safe and I need you to to come and help. Man, you know, this ain't the first time someone has asked you to pick a lock. Everybody in this county locks up their guns, right? This gives Jessica an epiphany. So the next scene, Jessica's at the hotel and she makes a call to Yanceyville. Yanceville? Yanceyville? Yeah, I I spelled it out. I don't remember how they pronounced it. So we're going to say Yanceville. And Bridie is like, oh, did you make your call? She's like, yeah, but I, I charged it to my charge card. She's like, girl, it's only 50 miles up the road. It It's technically local. <laughs> it ain't. It ain't that expensive. It's all right, girl. And so Jessica sits down with Bridie and she's like, listen, Molly believes that the explosion that killed your husband and her father was no accident. And Bridie says, I asked Tyler about it and he swears that he was not involved. And Jessica says, well, you you say involved as if you believe that it was not an accident. And so Bridie is like, it happened a long time ago. I need to just let it go. We need to just let it go and move on, right? And Jessica says, no, we can't do that because I truly believe that that explosion is related to Tyler's murder. And so Bridie says, well, Joe said that he got a hold of company records to prove that there was some fishy going ons with the mine. And he was planning to explain it 
at the next union meeting. So her husband, Danny, is telling her this, that this is what Joe said. But the next morning when Joe and Danny go into the mine for work, they're killed. They never make it out of the mine. It explodes. They lose their lives. And so Jessica asks, well, did he tell you what it was? And Bridie says, no. And I don't think he told anybody specifically what the evidence was. And after the funerals, uh, Eben and his friends and family searched Joe's office and his home and everything, and they didn't find anything. To which Jessica has another epiphany. And she says, I may know who the murderer is and what and the evidence that Joe had and I believe that I'll find it at Eben's place and so Bridie's like are you going to tell the sheriff and Jessica says when I have proof and so she leaves and we see that Travis was ear hustling as it were eavesdropping in grown folks business as it were and then we go to the next scene. Eben is heading out to his workshop so he can sharpen his axe, which he's in the process of doing. When he is hit in the center, the top crease of his back, maybe the back of his neck or something with the butt of a gun. And when I tell you it's so dramatic, I'm sorry. So dramatic. He like seizes up, his shoulders like seize up, and he like slowly falls to the ground. Like, I know now this man is like 84. Okay, so I'm not even like making fun of how slow he hit the ground uh, because that wasn't a stunt double. So you better believe I'm gonna slowly get to the ground. <laughs> I ain't trying to get hurt for real, but it, <laughs> and so he's knocked out. Okay. <laughs> But the drama of it all, anyway. So he he's knocked out. Jessica arrives at this point. She knocks on the door. There's no answer. She It's unlocked because God forbid somebody locked up their door. Now they lock up their guns, but they're like, come in the house whenever you feel like it. You know, <laughs> I'm home, not home. Cook some, you know, macaroni, like make some coffee, have a donut, whatever. Just chill in wh- who's ever house. Goldilocks, do your thing, right? (laughs) Anyway, so Jessica goes in because the door is unlocked and she sees the complete work of Shakespeare, the one that Molly had carried around with her, carried with her to Cabot Cove and carried around with her as a piece of her father, the only piece she had of him after his death. And as she's looking through it, she gets to the back cover. It's a hardcover book. And between the, I don't know what you call that, but she lifted up the paper, like wallpaper situation. I don't know. I don't know. I love books, but I have no idea the mechanics of the the names of the parts and stuff like that. So she lifts up this piece of paper that's taped to the back cover of the book or glued I should say and she pulls out a sheet of folded paper 
it is the missing ledger page. And they do a close up and it shows Carlton Reed received $10,000. Now this is in 1978 money, 1978 money, $10,000. Okay. So Jessica puts that in her purse and proceeds to leave. When she gets outside, well, no. She then goes over to the phone to call the sheriff. She dials zero, gets the operator and the operator. She asks for the sheriff's department and we see the phone line get cut. The camera pans up and it is Carlton, okay, with an ax. Okay, so we're like, whoa, didn't think it was you, sir. Well, I, I knew because I'd watched this episode several times before, but <laughs> surprise if it's the first time. So Jessica's walking out the door at this point and Carlton confronts her and he says, oh, did you find something? And she's like, did I? Carlton's like, I was watching you through the window. How long have you been on to me? She's like, on to you? <laughs> Come on, Jessica. Can we, can we not? And so the fact that Carlton says, the fact that I killed Tyler Morgan, I can freely admit that. Clearly he's planning to murder you if he's so willing to admit that, okay? And so Jessica says, I didn't know for sure, but I suspected. And it was based on something that you said when we were driving to the sheriff's department that... Anyone could have stolen, well, anyone could have taken a gun out of the unlocked rack next to the door and shot Tyler. The only way that you could have known that there was an unlocked rack, gun rack, that is, right next to the door was if you had been in the cabin. And the only way you could have been in the cabin is if Tyler specifically invited you there. And Carlton's like, that's not proof. No, no, that's not, that's not proof. While Tyler was getting himself murdered, I was at a union meeting in Yanceville. And Jessica says, no, I called Yanceville and they said that people saw you at the beginning of the meeting, but once they got settled and it started. Nobody remember seeing you after that. So Carlton then says, Tyler threatened to expose our financial arrangement if I didn't get Molly off of his back. And so Jessica says, oh, this financial arrangement, it goes back a long time, I'm sure. And Carlton says, I never wanted to, kill Joe. I didn't. I tried to cut him in, but he just wouldn't take it. He wouldn't be bribed. So he had to kill him. And he says, as to Danny, it was just his bad luck that he was working with Joe that day. Carlton then pulls a gun. He's like, just like it's your bad luck that you kept looking into this and figured this out. He then demands the ledger paper. Jessica hands it over. He puts it in his pocket and he's like, we're taking a ride and takes her over to the car at gunpoint. And as they're driving away, he's like, there are places in this 
you know, this state that you'll never be found. And even if you're found, it doesn't matter because they're not going to tie it back to me. So at this point, the tire gets shot out and they crash lightly. They, you know, it, no one's hurt, hurt into like some branch, some bushes. Jessica hops out immediately because she was ready. Okay. Hops out and goes running. Carlton scrambles out of the passenger side door as well to run after Jessica. Now he, he does not have his gun out. There's another bullet shot. They stop, look up, and it is Travis with a rifle. He shoots again at Carlton's feet, at which point Carlton puts his hands up. He was like, okay, 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 okay. Now, Travis is ready to kill Carlton. He then looks to Jessica and Jessica shakes her head no. At which point, Travis takes his finger off of the trigger. But Carlton does not attempt to escape at this point. He, he gives up. Somehow, someway, I guess Jessica is able to go in the house and call the sheriff. Well, I don't know how they get in contact with the sheriff. Now, the car is disabled, right? And... Well, you know what? Maybe Eben came too and they were able to take Eben's car or truck and take um, Carlton to the sheriff with uh, Travis holding him at gunpoint, I I guess. Because the phone line was cut and that's not like you just pulled it out the wall. Like it was cut. So how did they get in contact with anybody? So yeah, that's my best guess. Eben must have come to, because Eben's not dead, thankfully. No, he was just knocked out. He must have come to consciousness and was able to pull himself together to drive them into town. So now Jessica's getting ready to get on the bus to go back to Maine. And Eben asks, well, how did you know the proof was in the Sherlock, the Sherlock, good Lord, in the Shakespeare <laughs> book. And so Jessica says, well, I didn't know at first, but I realized that Molly said the only thing she took with her was the book of Shakespeare. And that's why you guys couldn't find the proof because it wasn't there when y'all went to search because she had already left with her mother to go to Cabot Cove with the book. So Jessica says, well, I you know, I'm sure that Carlton will be dealt with appropriately by the authorities. And even says, well, yeah, Molly's going to make sure of that. And Molly says that she has been asked to represent the minors, the, the union, in their part of the prosecution of Carlton. And that if this works out, they are looking to put her on retainer for all of their legal matters. And Jessica says, your father would be so proud. And they say their goodbyes. She waves goodbye. She gets on the bus. And that's the end of the episode. That's that on that on that episode. Now, um, if Molly is right out of school, out of law school, (laughs) homegirl ain't got no experience. (laughs) Like, I understand she's one of you guys, 
But you know what? You got to start somewhere. And the fact is she does have, uh, she grew up with these people, these families. Her father fought for them as a union rep. And so I think she has the personal experience of what their needs and wants and goals are. And now she's adding what she learned in law school. And the thing is, the closer you are to law school, the more that you remember about the textbook way to go about that area of law, okay? So if she had a mind to help them out this way, when she graduated law school and passed the bar exam, she may have taken courses to direct her in that path. So you know what, she got to start somewhere. So this, this is good for her. Um, I'm happy that she went back home. And unlike in a Hallmark movie, she didn't stay for some man. Okay. No shade, but shade. Um, She is staying to fulfill to do what, to com- okay, I'll put it this way, to combine her father's drive to protect the minors and her drive to continue his legacy with the additional covering of her legal experience. So being able to do it on a much broader level than her father was able to, which I think is a really great message at the end of the day that she was determined to make things right. And she found out who murdered her father. Now she was wrong about it being Tyler. However, he is, he was the catalyst for this because he had this financial arrangement with Carlton. And my question is, who the heck, okay, would write a bribe a financial arrangement in the official ledger. You're supposed to have two sets of books. There's not supposed to be any shady stuff written down. Are you serious? Are you serious? You should have taken cash out and handed him cash. Did you write him a check? Why is it in the ledger? Why would there be a $10,000 payment in the ledger? the official ledger that people clearly had access to. What? What? This could have all been resolved. Prevented is better. This could have all been prevented if people had enough sense to not write crime down. (laughs) You didn't even have a second set of books like that stupidity and laziness. Just this is the result of that stupidity that you didn't know that you needed a second set of books. Okay. And that you should not write crime down. But if you needed to write crime down for personal reasons to not make it accessible by creating a fake set of books that you could show people that people would have access to, that the accountants would have access to. You're supposed to deal in cash. You're not supposed to write that down in the official business ledger and 
And <laughs> perhaps they stopped doing that. I'm assuming they stopped doing that after it was found by Joe and they ended up having to kill him. And I'm sure Carlton went to Tyler and was like, hey, yeah, so I had to kill Joe because he found out about this. So yeah, but we're good now. We're good. I I don't know um, where that ledger sheet is, but we're good. We're good. So, <laughs> and especially after Eben and his friends and family like tore the place up, every place that Joe might have put it and didn't find it, they were definitely like breathing easy. So Tyler knew he chose not to tell Bridie that although I wasn't involved in it, that it was Carlton who did it. You know, he didn't even make up a lie to say he did it to gain favor because Joe had found something out uh, that was negative towards the mind and could put everyone's job at risk. So he killed Joe. But we got to keep, and your husband accidentally got killed in the melee, in the explosion, really. And so, but we can't tell anybody about this. But he was just like, oh, I wasn't involved, which is true, which is true. He did not order that Joe be killed. It doesn't even sound like he ordered Joe to be bribed. It sounds like Carlton found out because he's a member of the union at this point. So he knew that in the upcoming union meeting, the night that they ended up dying that day, he knew that he had stolen the ledger page or had found the ledger page, I'll say. And he had some proof of financial shenanigans. And Carlton knew that it was related to him. So he, I'm sure, I don't think Tyler knew until after the fact. And I think Carlton told him in order to hold something over his head so that they can continue a financial arrangement that they were probably smart enough at this point not to write down or at least not to write down in a location someone else could find because it doesn't sound like Reese found any proof of these financial shenanigans. So I'm guessing they just didn't write it down, perhaps dealt with cash or money orders or something to that effect. I don't know. But yeah, that's, yeah, there were some concerning things here. <laughs> okay. Now, I, I am not, a hundred percent upset that Tyler died because he was having a relationship. And I use that very, very loosely, very loosely because there was a serious power dynamic and power difference between him and Bridie. This is a 19 year old girl who has a four year old child and has just unexpectedly, tragically lost her husband. And you step in like, hey, let's have sex and I'll give you money. How terrible is that? 
You know what I mean? I'm like, it's one thing to be out here embarrassing your wife by cheating with any and everybody. But you're going to take advantage of this woman's situation. And I promise you that he knew that Carlton was the one who caused that explosion. I promise you by the time he went to sleep with Birdie that he knew about what happened to her husband and that it was Carlton who did it. So that that makes him a trash person, like disgusting type of person, like in a cartoon where they have like the stink marks coming off of it, pile of trash, that's going to be Tyler Morgan. And I didn't have these strong of, a, of feelings for him because it's like, oh, he's just a, a jerk of a businessman. He's ruthless or whatever. But now really sitting down and thinking about the position he put Bridie in, right? That he did not care that these two, even if it was accidental, let's say, let's say, even if it was accidental, it doesn't even sound like he gave the families money for this. You know what I mean? Like he is, you own this, you run in this town and it doesn't even sound like there were death benefits given out because it was like they had, they couldn't even afford to stay there. They had to go to Maine and Bridie, well, unless, unless there were death benefits and that's what Bridie is claiming is how she got the money for that hotel motel holiday inn. Maybe that's what that was. So I don't know. Maybe that's how they couched it. Like he was giving her money and was just like, oh, I'm going to give you $50,000 and say that it was a a death benefit for the, the wrongful death of, for the death of your husband. I know it was an accident, but this is the right thing to do. So I could see him doing that. I could see him doing that for the simple fact to get in, back into the good graces of the town and to make the miners feel that he cared about them and their families, whether he did or not. I, I could see him doing that. I could see him doing that like, hey, here's a large upfront payment. You know, you know what you got to do for it. But I'm just going to say that this is death benefits. Yeah, no, he, he's a pile of garbage with the literal stink lines rising out of it. Like who, who does that? Okay, Carlton is trash. He, he's the greedy type of trash that we're used to seeing. Um, Travis, I'm, I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted about Travis because he he was disrespectful to his mother and that is unacceptable. Okay, unacceptable. But he did protect Jessica. Okay, he did protect Jessica. He understood what was going on. Now, I don't think he knew that his mother was having an affair with Tyler. 
I think he just, he hated him because he blamed him for his father's death. So he hated him in off top. And I think Bridie realized that as he's getting older, he may find out. And if he found out, how devastating would that have been for him? Not knowing that Carlton is the one who murdered his father. But him thinking that Tyler is the one who caused his father to die, either accidentally or intentionally, that he, he's the reason. And that your mother is sleeping with him. Like, what? how devastating. Like, this is the man who killed my father, your husband, and you're sleeping with him? I don't care if we had to live on the street before you are having sex with this man that you suspected was involved and had to believe when he said, oh, I wasn't involved. You had to believe that because otherwise how you could not justify sleeping with this man, money or no, who was instrumental in your husband dying, being, well, being murdered because it, it was, it was a murder. So yeah, like I understand Bridie's situation and Tyler took advantage of that. I can understand that she got to the point, she must've got to the point of being financially stable if she was talking about like, I was gonna break it off. Cause I don't think it was just about her son finding out about this and probably hating her, like literally hating her for sleeping with a man who killed his father. Cause that, that's what's good. That what was, is what was going on in his mind. But I think it was in addition to that, it was, okay, I'm not dependent on the money he's giving me anymore, right? My business is successful enough. I put enough aside, whatever. And now, you know, my son, he'd be running these streets and stuff like that. I got to pay more attention to him. I got to be home to make sure he's home. I got to keep him safe from running these streets because he could have got into drugs. Y'all in the mountains, like who knows? He could have got into anything while you're out having sex with this man who was instrumental, was the catalyst for your husband being killed. And your husband wasn't even a target. He was an accident. So yeah, I, I'm not... I'm not mad at Bridie. I'm not. I I understand her situation and it's a terrible situation. Um, although I personally think that she stayed longer than she needed to. Um, so I'm judging, yes. But for Travis, I can understand even not knowing that she was having an affair with Tyler because honestly, he would have hated his mother. He he would have been, he probably wouldn't come home at all. Like he would have been a terror if he found out his mother was sleeping with the person he believes killed his father. But he's like, you out here running these streets at night. Why can't I run these streets? And I'm not even out here with, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry. So he thinks she's, you know, catting around, you know, 
And so he's like, I'm going out hunting. I'm going to be out in the streets. I'm going to be out by myself at night. Like, I'm not scared. I got a gun. I know how to use it. I got a mullet. (laughs) I'm ready to take on the world. But anyway, so yeah, so I, I can understand, especially at 14, his dad has been gone for 10 years. It's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. So I, I feel bad for Travis. And the fact that he was able to stop himself from killing Carlton says a lot. Just because Jessica, you know, shook her head no, that doesn't mean that he was going to take that advice. But I respect the fact that he was able to control himself enough knowing that the man who stood at the end on the other side of that gun murdered his father by accident like not even by accident by chance by chance so yeah Travis isn't my favorite character but respect to his ability to control himself at the the end and not literally murder that man, even though, mm, what it, he did hold Jessica at gunpoint, like maybe he could argue self-defense. I'm sure, I'm sure Jessica would be like, yes, I feared for my life. And if he had not, I would have been in a ditch somewhere never to be found. So, and he's 14. Maybe they would have given him some therapy and let him go home. Like maybe. Anyway, so last person, Molly. I liked her. I I appreciate that she was true to herself. She didn't waver. She wasn't annoying. She stayed, I don't know. Yeah, she stayed true to her character the entire time. Like, I don't feel like she did anything that I was like, girl, that's stupid or that's illegal. She knew the assignment right? She knew what her goal was and she knew how to get there legally as she was walking that line. Okay. Not on the edge, walking well within the line to get to her goal. And she got there. She found out who murdered her, her father. Uh, Tyler is dead. So there's that, you know, that just makes her feel a little bit better. Just just a little bit better. Um, but (laughs) But also now she has a possible career helping the miners of the town where she grew up and where her father was a part of that community and where her grandfather is. And so she can stay and take care of her grandfather. He can take care of her. She has family. You know, I'm, I'm assuming her mother died and that's why her mother is like nowhere to be found. So I, I like that. Uh, also big up to Eben because you don't mess with Eben's family. Okay. He was ready to pull a shotgun on the sheriff was like, she going home with me. Okay. (laughs) He was like, listen, I no games being played here. That is my granddaughter. Okay. Y'all got all y'all legal jargon and all that, all that. I got this double barrel shotgun. Okay, that's all the talking I need to do. All right. But thankfully, he listened to Molly and it all worked out. He, Grandpa didn't end up in jail. Okay. 
and neither did Molly. So we're, we're good. We're good. So yeah, I think that's that on that. I think that's everybody of import. If I miss somebody, oh, well, okay. <laughs> Nora, I, whatever. Uh, Reese, he can kick rocks with no socks on. I don't, I don't know. I don't, um, I like the actor. Okay. Uh, I am a fan of Perry Mason <laughs> and he was Ken Malansky in the Perry Mason movies. So I much prefer him in that role and the roles he has played since. But uh, yeah, he was, he was a jerk, but he probably had his reasons. So there's that. Okay, so th this is a very long review. So I'm done. I'm done for real. Honestly, for real. And so next week, we will be talking about Wearing of the Green, season five, episode six. Now, we'll get through it together. All right? We're going to get through this together. That's all I'm going to say. All right? <laughs> I think I've watched that episode a total of twice. So I don't real. I vaguely remember it. So, Yeah. You may get a few revelations as I am recording the review, okay? <laughs> because it's not one that I'm super familiar with. So we'll get through it together and we'll have a great time as always. So until next time, you can find me on Instagram at the Fletcher Files Pod on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook Meta at the Fletcher Files Pod page on Facebook Meta. And of course, in the description box, there is the link to my Patreon, the Fletcher Files Pod on Patreon. If you're not on there, get into it, especially because we have a lot of content over there. Get into it. All right. So <laughs> until next time, promise me you will have an amazing week and I will do the same. Until then, bye.